Hey everybody and welcome to the Joe Uvoli podcast. This podcast is about talking to people who have dedicated their lives to the game of lacrosse and learning about who they are, how they got to where they are today, and what they do to improve themselves and their teams. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Joe Uvoli. And if you want to be able to ask questions to upcoming guests and suggest topics or interviews you'd like to hear, subscribe to my newsletter at joeuvoli.com. This is part two and the conclusion of my interview with Denver University coach Bill Tierney. So, so how are you raising the stakes in practice? Can you go, go into a little bit more about how you make it miserable for them. <laughs> well, I can tell you that uh, you know Kenny Clausen, who, uh, in my mind, Kenny's one of the best defensemen that's ever played the game in, at, at the University of Virginia, and Kenny's now our warrior rep out here in Denver. Yeah. I remember the first year I was out here, and Kenny's watching our practice, and, you know, and he asked if he could watch practice. I said, sure, you know, he watches practice, and we got to the end of about half the practice, and he looked at me, and he said, Coach, I love you, but I could have never played for you. <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, because I, I think what we do is it's, I've always believed in the overload principle in coaching uh, and teaching in that you give them too much information, you work them too hard, you put too much pressure on them, you, you expect so much more than they can possibly attain. Mm-hmm. So that, as Trevor said, when the games come, it, it's almost easy. Mm-hmm. That's you know, uh, yeah. That it's emotional stuff, and you're getting on them, or it's uh, uh, too much for their brain, or too many physical expectations, the running, the, and all that stuff. Uh, I've never told a recruit that that if you come to play for me, it's going to be easy, you know. But I also yeah. tell kids that I've never had a player five years or ten years or fifteen years after he's played for me in college write me a note and thank me for being for being too soft on them or too nice to them. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. They, always write, they always write you back and say, thanks for challenging me. Thanks, right. for, the, thanks for working me hard. Yeah. And they, you know, you help me better or tougher or something like that. That's awesome. So that's kind of the approach. And it's, we're not the most fun guys to play for, but I think our guys have fun. They always have, whether it be in winning or knowing that we love them and, and the camaraderie that we build mm-hmm. or just the fact that they've gone through that experience and then can be a better better father or employee or coach themselves that's awesome that that's that's great advice and i mean it's it's one thing that i'm trying to force myself here to do i mean like we mentioned before we even started started the phone call you know i'm 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 new to interviewing i'm new to podcast i just tried to jump into it because i'm trying to challenge myself i'm trying to go further than what i thought i could do and it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing with your players which makes a lot of sense now yeah yeah and uh the results speak for themselves right (laughs) <laughs> we hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll see. We'll see in May. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, so I want to go back to that blueprint because um, you've been, you know, you've been the head coach uh, at three places in college across RIT, Princeton, Denver. Like I mentioned, um, to varying degrees, the one thing that stayed constant is that you've you've taken over, you know, a, a underdeveloped program. Um, and you turn them into national powerhouses. So you keep you mentioned that blueprint. Can you can you go a little bit deeper about what that blueprint is and and, and how you use it with your teams? Yeah, I, I think I think the, the 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 
kids, people will say kids have changed, and they certainly have. Uh, you know, I think technology's changed. Parents have changed. It's changes kids. They're certainly more entitled right now and all that. But there are certain traits that were true of kids when I was a kid and true of kids right now in, in the 21st century, and that is they want discipline more than they'll tell you. And mm -hmm. so uh, by starting with discipline and starting letting them know that when you talk about being at a meeting at 4 o'clock, it means being there at 10 or 4. When you talk about, uh, you know, going on the road and looking sharp and, and wearing a jacket and tie, it doesn't, it doesn't mean having the tie untied down to the middle of your stomach mm -hmm. just so you have a tie on. Uh, when it means, um, you know, being, being good to people in airports, being, you know, being kind to children, uh, you know, whether it be kids that we're reading to in elementary schools or, or, or kids that you meet on in an airport. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's just this whole demand of doing things. Uh, you know, I had a challenge a couple of years ago when, uh, you know, I've always had a rule that my teams have, they look good. They have haircuts. I make our kids cut, cut their hair. It's, mm -hmm. it's probably ancient. It's probably old. It's probably not fair. Um, Two years ago, when, or three years ago now, when we were recruiting Zach Miller, and he sat in my office, and he told me he wanted to come to Denver, and he loved Coach Brown, and, and this is what he wanted to do. But I, I sensed something was wrong. And mm -hmm. I said, Zach, what is it? And he, he didn't want to tell me. And finally his mom told him to tell me. And he said, well, Coach, I, uh, I hear you make your players cut their hair. And I said, Zach, why do you wear your hair in a braid? Uh -huh. And he said, well in my culture, and that's all you had to say. And, yep. I, and that's where I stopped. And I learned at that moment that, you know, you've got to figure things out as a coach and having hard and fast rules are very important, but you also have to understand people as well. And so, hmm. you know, we still have those rules um, and, and in place, but I feel that Zach's, the meaning for him in his hair and in, in his braid are so forceful, so powerful yeah. that, you got. You also have to not have hard and fast rules for everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. I just, I just think that, um, I just think that if you can get kids to believe that that you care as much about them as they do about the game, uh, probably more so. Yeah. Um, if you can get to understand that your discipline isn't about uh, your ego, it's about everybody pulling together, being on the same page. When we line up to stretch, we're e you know, even with the guy in front of you, even with the guy behind you. When we wear our socks, we all pull them up. We don't, you know, when we uh, when we tuck our shirts in, we, we're probably the only team in the country who wears a jersey underneath their reversible for practice uh -huh. because I can't stand that some guys are wearing white T-shirts and some are wearing gray ones and some are wearing orange ones and some are wearing blue ones. Uh -huh. I think it detracts from the concentration level um, that we expect our coaches will act the same as we expect the kids to act. That we have uh, strict rules when it comes to when it comes to drugs and alcohol mm -hmm. and not doing well in school. All these things, people would look at and say, "That's too much. That's a mountain to climb." What I the way I look at it is, it 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 takes all the tough decisions out of their mind. Mm -hmm. They've already got enough tough stuff. They're living in the toughest time to be a young man right now uh, or a young woman with the social media. You know, yeah. it's their whole lives are out there in front of the public. And so what we do is we try to take away as many options for mistakes there and get them to appreciate their teammates and love their teammates and do whatever they can for their teammates mm -hmm. and then realize that if 
if if you have the power of 48 teammates pulling for you, it's much stronger than the power of you pulling for you. Yeah. And if we can get out of the selfishness and and get them to understand how to how to be a team member, whether they're the best player or the worst player on the team, that that's gonna that's gonna do it. And yeah. and also setting their goals higher than they could ever than they could ever believe. And you know, I I call it reaching for the moon so that you can reach some stars. Talking to the Princeton guys about national championships, talking to the Denver guys about national championships. Um, maybe in their mind, they just wanted to play lacrosse and go to a great school. Yeah. But now, now it's within reach. Or for those guys back at Princeton, it, they reached that goal, and and they did it, overcoming obstacles that they probably would have if they hadn't been disciplined, if they hadn't been forced to believe they could do it, they wouldn't have done it. And, yeah. and now you see what they're doing in life. Uh, they've all overachieved. So yeah. it's that's what gives me the greatest satisfaction. Yes, the wins are great, but it's really more about what kind of men these guys become after they've spent four or five years with you. Absolutely. And, and it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like these rules in some sense are, are, are also, they're helping you make sure that you're getting the right kid on your team. Is that right? Because if, if he knows that he's ready to buy into sort of the standards that you set for him, you know that you, you, you have somebody that's going to put in the extra effort and go the extra mile for you. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it plays right into our offensive and defensive philosophies, mm-hmm. whether it was uh, David Metzbauer at Princeton or, or Matt Brown at, at Denver. These two guys are two of the best offensive minds that have ever coached the game. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we don't, we don't, we, our, our standards in the locker room are same as our standards on the field. If you think you're going to be an individual guy in our offense playing for Matt Brown, you're not going to last very long. It yeah. just doesn't work. You've got to know that you're going to move the ball. You also got to know that you're going to play one of your greatest games ever and end up with you know one assist, and then maybe play one of your less effort games or least effort games and end up with five goals. And those yeah. the two reasons for that are because. You play within a team system. Sometimes you know better than anybody. Sometimes you got to be a feeder. Sometimes you got to be a finisher. Yep. And and and, you can, and if you if you feed guys, they they feed off of you. And and so uh, it's just the nature of our defense has always has never been about one guy covering another guy and being left on an island. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's always been about in the back of your mind, you have the knowledge that someone else is going to be there to support you if you just do your job. That's awesome. And so all this stuff comes hand in hand uh, with living their lives, going to school, staying out of trouble, and you know playing playing lacrosse in a way that we believe at Denver, we believe that Princeton is the right way to play. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, Coach. Um, you know, as you know, I sent you some of the questions beforehand. I have a bunch of things that I want to ask you, but um, you know. I told you I'd keep you an hour. I've already gone over a little bit, but um, you know, so so I want to wrap so, things up. So I, it's fine. I, I got time. I'm you got good. time. I, you know, I, let, let's get this done, and then that way you can edit it any way you see. Awesome. You want to? Great. I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about this stuff, especially. Uh, by the way, you've become a hell of an interviewer. These are some of the best <laughs> questions I've ever been asked. So, uh, so 
let's keep rolling with it. I've got time. We don't awesome. have practice today. We're into our individual work now, so Great. we're fine. All right, let's let's do it then. Let's do it. So the next part, uh, the next questions that I wanted to dive into is, is I wanted to learn a little bit more about about your practice because it, uh, you know, as I mentioned with the the fourteen and four and the one goal games. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about what your practices are like. So can you, can you talk about how you structure them and, and what are some of the goals that you try to accomplish with each practice? Yeah, I think, I think one of the things we've learned lately is that you can't do what you used to do. I, I remember uh, uh, one of the very few people, or people who have played for me over the years that had either the nerve or the intelligence to... to tell me things during practice was my son, Brendan, who, yeah. who graduated from Princeton in 2002. Brendan was a great, great role player for us at Princeton, started for two years, jumped in, um, jumped in and helped, helped us win a big semifinal game in 2000. Uh, just a smart, smart kid. And, and, you know, went to, you know, Fuqua school at Duke, you know, get his MBA, now works for Nike. But what Brendan would tell me during you know, he'd, he'd be the one with the nerve to come up to me and say, Dad, we're out here three hours and 15 minutes. Do you think we could get some scrimmaging in now? Or do you think we could go get it, get the hell out of here? And, and you know, because no one else would do that. And yeah. so one, what I've learned, one thing I've learned in the, my last, and you can always learn as a coach. I've been mm -hmm. in this a long time, uh, but you can always learn as a coach. And one thing I've learned as of late, is, is less is often better. And so mm -hmm. we've stopped, we've stopped the three, three and a half hour practices, you know, we, uh, and so that's something here at Denver. We are very, we're very organized. Mm -hmm. we, we make use of every moment. And so therefore I go back to my word on your question, my word of blueprint. We have a blueprint for every practice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we'll alter that. Sometimes this fall, for instance, I, I have, I have two, three of the greatest assistant coaches in the world. And uh, so John Orson's running the defense, Brownie's running the offense, and I'm standing there twiddling my thumbs. So, uh, <laughs> so this, this, this fall, I told him I became the, the fun coach. And I think you have to do this with kids nowadays. Is One day we, we broke out the, uh, the pink softballs that we use sometimes to do our passing drills with to develop, to develop our softer hands. And uh -huh. we broke out... You know, probably 50 or 60 of them when we, and we played dodgeball with the huh. softballs and they just killing each other. Yeah. Another one, another day I broke out Bob Scott's old, uh, when I learned coaching the Bob Scott camp in 1984 was the musical ground balls. You know, we, mm -hmm. we'd throw out one less ball to the guys and they battle for ground balls. And then the guy out has to start running and then work it all the way down to two guys fighting for one ball. Okay. And so they, they had a blast with that. We mm -hmm. play uh, two, what we call two, two ball and four goal, the Gataway. You know, mm -hmm. the whole team's out there, two teams playing each other. And uh, with two balls, and goalies don't know where the balls are coming from. Some guys cherry pick, some guys run up and down, some guys play defense. Yeah. And it just ways to lighten the load of young kids who a lot more have AD, ADD now than, than certainly used to, or at least we know about it now. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So the, I think going back to your question of what do my practice look like, clearly, well, like everybody else, we, you know, we expect the guys to be out there 15, 20 minutes early, doing their fool around stick work, doing, you know, getting their bodies moving, mm -hmm. talking about what happened on the weekend, get all that stuff out of the way so that when we get started, um, we're ready to roll. 
And then we just do our, our normal stuff, our, our dynamic stretching. We One thing about Matt Brown, he's got a different stick work drill every day for mm-hmm. our offensive guys. And uh, last year, Dylan Sheridan and, and, and now John Orson for our defensive guys. Different stick work every day. You've got to keep them entertained. Yeah. Uh, one thing that Matt does is almost every time we do stick work, it, it ends up with a shot. So, you know, we have all these intricate patterns of our stick work, but the guy at the end always ends up with a shot. We shoot the ball all the time in, in our stick work. And gotcha. so, uh, you know, and then, and then we'll come together. We always do a full field transition drill. It might be five minutes. It might be 15 minutes. Depends on whether we just want to get them moving on a cold day or we want to teach them how to play five-on-four defense, you know, mm-hmm. something like that to get, get them up and down. You know, everybody has those drills, you know, two-on-one ground balls into a five-on-four yeah. marathon meeting. A drill I learned from Fred Acey back in the 70s we call red-white, which is what he called it when he was at Farmingdale College. And so all these little tweaks that we do that, that allow the guys to get up and down, force the ball up the field, force the guys defensively to be under pressure and, uh, and learn how to handle those situations. And then we'll, then we do, uh, we probably do more drill work than most. You know, we always break our, our game down, whether it's, uh, you're thinking about what you're going to do in, in half field on defense, breaking it down into two on twos, three on threes, four on fours, wide drills, which I invented a long time ago when I, you know, started the Princeton defense, which is a four on four drill teaching slides. Mm-hmm. Um, and where Brownie might do, Oh, if we're working on our deuces offense, he might do the four guys up top or the four guys down below. He might do, you know, the pick game, the two-on-two pick game. Anyway, we, we do a lot of drill work here, yeah. and then we make sure every player gets his chance to, to do that, so we always flip-flop that. It takes us a little bit more time, but we want every player to know that we're going to coach him as much as we're going to coach the top players. Yeah. Um, and then we jump into... Uh, either a fun thing, or maybe we'll do conditioning, or maybe we'll jump into full field man up, man down at that point. Something like that, just to break up the monotony, get the fun going. Yep. And then we'll do half field. Then we'll do half field stuff. Uh, we might do half field with the uh, whole team at one end and really challenge them, and you know, competition, getting after each other. Yeah. Uh, or we might break it up to two ends and just to do, you know the teaching part of what we might be seeing that next week from our opponent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, then we come together and uh, we, 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 we scrimmage a lot. We always have a theme to our scrimmages. Uh, we have always have a theme to our half field. It might be that in our half field, we'll only allow a guy, uh, we'll only allow uh, a goal to be scored off an assist. We'll only allow the goal to be scored with your weekend. We'll only allow a goal to be scored on the inside. We'll only allow the goal to be scored on a, on an alley dodge, you know, so mm-hmm. all these things and the same in our scrimmaging, we might go face off to a shot. Uh, we might play what we call basketball rules where every shot, any shot that misses the goal, um, it's the defense's ball, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because we want guys putting the ball on goal. We want the game to move fast. We might do any shots a save. So even if it goes in or it misses, the goalie grabs one, picks it up and we're off and running transition wise. Just all these different, all these different um, scenarios. You know, it might be riding and clearing to a shot. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything that's within the game, but trying to make it interesting. I found more lately in the last five or six years, especially here at Denver. You gotta, 
within your hard work, you got to entertain a little bit and you got to make it fun for the guys. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, but uh, mm-hmm. we might even throw in the middle of practice our conditioning for the day, you know, mm-hmm. just to make it be that. Uh, I remember when I was at Zim's assistant at Hopkins, uh, the, the guys figured out that it, at 5.45, if he put in conditioning, they'd know it was going to be a tough day. But if he put in 5.55 conditioning, they knew it was going to be a pretty light day. You know, yeah. so, uh, you know, they, 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 you know, players, they, they figure themselves <laughs> out. Yeah. Paced, you know, kids are smart. They also know that if you're the offensive coach and and you let the offense score in the last few minutes of practice, that that coach is going to think it was a great practice. If he's a defensive coach and you stop him, then he's going to think that that was a great practice. So their kids are very smart. We try to keep it moving. Um, We go Mondays for an hour, Tuesdays and Thursdays for two hours, Wednesdays for an hour and 15 minutes, and Fridays for an hour. We're not out there very long. We expect them that they'll do a lot of their individual, you know, stick work, uh, with extra shooting practice that we'll do during the day or uh, maybe some one-on-ones or some footwork drills during the day when they have a break from class. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do their film. We uh, we'll do a little bit of team film, but oftentimes they're doing their film on their own with their with their coach, you know, whether that's an offensive or defensive coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, overall the hours aren't anywhere near uh, what – you know, what the limit is. And we just feel like the guys are fresher. We know we have to travel a lot more than everybody else. Yeah. And we just we want them to, to, to know that we're here for them. But mm-hmm. we want them to also know that if they put in a good day of practice, whether it's an hour or two and a half hours, that it's, um, that it's worthwhile and that we're going we're gonna to care about their health and, and all that other stuff. Yeah. So those are your hours during the season. You're, you're not just talking during the fall? No, I'm talking about during the regular season. During the regular season, wow! So you, you've you've cut your practices well, down to an hour, an hour and fifteen minutes. Well, on Mondays and Wednesdays, yeah, because they're also lifting days, and yep. then uh, two hours, two fifteen. So probably overall, to probably practicing eight and a half hours a week. Huh. Um, wow! Now the ex the expectation is that, as I said, that they're going to do some shooting on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if things get ugly, we might stay out a little longer. But but I think we found that uh, the fresher they are, the better they are. And then and then uh, and if we do a good job preparing that practice, they're on the move for that whole hour, hour and fifteen or or two fifteen. Yeah. They're on the move. That there's no fooling around, and and we get it done. And if you don't have wasted time, you're going to be much more efficient. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, I'm actually. Really happy to. I'm really happy to hear that because one of the things that I remembered and one of the things that I learned after after I graduated was when I was in school and you know and let's say that I would uh, you know I'd roll my ankle or something where I'd have to take a few days off from practice. I remember coming back to practice after three days off and that I feeling completely rested and unbelievably yeah, right. ready to go after you know just okay. resting a little bit. Um, and as I've gotten older, I've paid more attention to my body and I realize how important that rest is. Um, so it's really cool to see that you've, you've tried to pare down at least the time on the field, um, down to an hour and 15, um, you know, in some cases, cause I, I, I always thought that that would pay off a lot to, to coaches who are willing to do that, which, you know, I, I would imagine it's hard for, for coaches to say, Hey, we should practice less, but it seems like, uh, it seems like you realize that it makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, it's fun. 
if any of my ex Princeton players are listening to this, they're saying <laughs> that that's bullshit. Um, because, uh, you know, as I told you, we used to be Monday through Thursday, we'd be three 30 to at least six o'clock, maybe six fifteen to six thirty, yeah. And then Fridays we'd go, you know, an hour and a half or whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's a different time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think technology has helped us a great deal with the, the amount of film you can give guys and uh, feedback you can give them. We film yeah. every practice so that they can come in and watch themselves as, a, as opposed to listen to you rant and rave about something they don't understand you're talking about. <laughs> and uh, and so it's, uh, you know, there are often times where I say, geez, I'd like to go a little longer and I've got three 30-something uh your old coaches, assistant coaches that grab me and say, coach, we're good. Yeah. We're good. yeah. You know, yeah. and you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's been, it's, it's been, it's been really good. Great. It's been really good to, to continue to learn the yeah. inner workings of players. Absolutely. Um, so for each individual practice, are you creating a practice plan that you show to the players? Uh, I mean, it sounds like you're doing a lot of prep work beforehand, but are you laying stuff out? No, we don't show them. They don't, they don't know what's coming, but they know that when we blow the whistle, they've got to move. They know that we're not going to beat a dead horse, whether it's or, or beat a great horse. You know, when, when that 15-minute time slot's over, I blow the whistle, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, and we move on. Now, once in a while, I'll leave it open-ended for our scrimmaging. Mm-hmm. You know, I might say uh, start scrimmaging at 545. And and know that that might mean we either end at six if things are going okay, or six fifteen if not so much, or vice versa. You know, it might end earlier, and we might uh, be running at six o'clock if, if it's not all well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but and it's a little open ended because you do have issues. You want to make sure everybody's getting their, you know, everybody's got their questions answered, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're doing things like riding and clearing and things like that. Yeah. But I I think it's it's never to a point where. Uh, my son Brendan has to come up to me after three and a half hours and say, "Dad, time to go." You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you mentioned that you 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 guys try to break things down, um, you know, to smaller aspects of the game. So, what are you doing as a coach in terms of focusing on individual players versus the whole team? Are are you spending a lot of time trying to develop individual players, or maybe um, you know, individual groups of players? Or are you, is most of your focus as a head coach on how the team is performing and how the team is doing? Well, it's a great question. I, I, I believe that uh, there are less teachers in our game than there used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Kowski and I talk about this a lot, and John DiTomaso, who, you know, who I really admire, is a great friend of mine. And, and I think what you learn when you're a teacher is that you, there, are, there are different ways of doing things, and, and they call it in, in education, they call it either the part-to-whole method or the whole-to-part method. Mm-hmm. And what I've developed over my coaching career is what I call the whole-to-part, back-to-the-whole method, which basically means I give them the big picture right from the start. I'll throw six guys out there on defense and a goalie on our first day of practice to show our freshmen what it's supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they have no no idea. But <laughs> yeah. you know, and 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 even the older guys, after a summer of being away, they they forget some stuff. But I like to, for them to see what's going on. I like for them to watch Matt Brown's offense on the first day or two, just to see what it's about. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is then we break it down. Then we'll talk about, for instance, if it's defense, we'll talk about one on ones, 
being one-on-ones but not trying to stop your guy one-on-one like we talked about before yeah. or just driving them in the direction that you want them to go. Mm-hmm. Next would be two-on-twos which with basically being a one-on-one with a slider, teaching guys how to slide, where to slide, when to slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it'd be two-on-twos. Maybe we want to talk about how to defend picks. Maybe we want to talk about switches and getting through and and uh, and those kind of things. Or maybe two-on-two on the inside with a survival drill or something like that. Mm-hmm. Next might be three-on-threes where we're teaching the three middies up top because a lot of guys are using motion offenses or movement offenses now. How to how to slow play a slide, how to how to move towards your guy, how to get toward the ball, how to approach your guy when he gets the ball, uh, those kind of things. And then four-on-fours, which might incorporate a slider and the three guys up top or a slider and the three guys behind, or maybe we divide it in half on a side uh, with a wing dodge. Um, Five-on-five, six-on-six, you know, all these things. And, and so the answer to your question, long-winded, is that we try to develop individual skills, especially in the fall. Yep. We try to still continue to do that in pre-practice work, uh, where maybe a guy might come out with Coach Orson, a couple of guys might come out and just do a couple more one-on-ones because they're struggling with their footwork or something like that. Um, but, then, but then within our practice plan, as we teach what we want them to do, we always have them be able to be reminded hey, remember we did that wide drill, and this is how you slid. Or remember when we did the two-on-twos, this is how you played the, the pick game. Um, and then throw it all together, which is back into the, we've gone now from hole, we've showed them the hole, we've gone to the parts, and now we go back to the hole method where they should be able to, at this point, be able to incorporate all those skills they learned in all those different drills and put it all together. Huh. You know, I... It might even be a, a simple drill, like we do a communication drill where I'll grab the scout offense and I'll I'll give them four formations mm-hmm. that they got to move from one to another to another to another, and the defense knows that they're not going to shoot. They're going to move the ball around, but they're not going to shoot. And so we're just constantly asking all seven guys, including the goalie, to be talking and communicating. What's happening now? Nobody's on the crease. Two guys are on the crease. Who's going? Who's second? Who's two? You know, who's yeah. filling, uh, you know, all that stuff so that when we get to the big picture, when we find, you know, we get into the six-on-six or get into scrimmaging, that they've heard it before in a small setting so that when they hear it in the big setting, it clicks in their mind what they're supposed to do. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, so when you are throwing the uh, the scout offense in there, um how much time are you taking per week, you know, during your season to prepare for your upcoming opponents? Are are you mostly focused on what the other team is going to do, or do you spend most of your time making sure that the team is ready to go? And oh, by the way, here's what our opponent's going to do. Just be ready for this. Um, that's interesting. We used to do a lot more when I was at Princeton. We do, God, we might do 45 minutes a day of just half field based on the other team. Huh. You know, now it might be 20 minutes. Um, you know, uh, but we do talk about it. I think what's happened nowadays is just the skill level of the kids with the sticks is higher. I think the coaching has just become so good now with film. And as I said earlier, guys copying different offenses, yeah. uh, popping off the crease as you dodge throwbacks, uh, you know, and, and then you throw in the, the skill level of some of these guys. Um, I think it gets a little bit 
uh, it becomes a little bit smarter to concentrate on the things that you do mm-hmm. and be able to make adjustments during games as opposed to guessing every little thing that might happen in a game because that can change in a heartbeat. You know, I, I just know here that even for Matt Brown, we may, we may have 80 or 90 different offenses, but he, when he does his game sheet, it's going to have five or six. Yep. that we've prepared that game. So, um, you know, so uh, it's a good question. I think we want to have him pre- prepared for as much as we can for our opponent, but more importantly, having them be prepared to know the basic rules they can fall back on mm-hmm. if all the fails and the team does something that we weren't ready for them to do. Gotcha. And when you are looking at your opponent, are you looking more towards larger team trends or is it on individual tendencies? Well, both, both, but uh, but again, what's transpired is I used to be a lot more individual mm-hmm. and a lot less team, and now I'm a little bit more on uh, patterns or even getting to the point of, of trying to explain philosophically what the other team's trying to achieve. I think you as a coach owe it to your players to figure out whether the team is going to be a ball movement team and a people movement team, or they're going to be an ISO type team that, that works off the, the best two players as they carry the ball. You owe it to your team to prepare them for that kind of stuff. Yeah. And hopefully you've you got a couple of players who can cover those guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you also, you also need to prepare them for, you know, if there's motion or teams who change sets and things like that, so that when they get out there in the game, they're just not blindsided by that all. Yeah, and, and you, you touched on it a little bit. Is that mostly looking at their videos, or is it? Uh, do you do written scouting reports, or do you email them scouting reports? How do you do that? Yeah, um, you know, uh, it, things have changed a little bit. In, starting last year, we're not allowed to live scout in lacrosse anymore. But with the film and the film exchange and everybody exchanges films with each other now, mm-hmm. uh, pretty much off film, you can break down a film, as you know, yeah. you can break down a film in, in 20 minutes. And what we do is we send a, we send a film clip to every kid. Every kid has an iPad or, or a computer. We send him a clip of his last game, of his practices. We send him clips of our opponents. So it's their job. Uh, since we're not on the field as much as maybe we used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's their job to do homework each night and make sure they're watching some film so that when you come back and you say, okay, um, you know, if they go from a 1-3-2 to a 1-4, what do you think they're looking to do? And they can answer, oh, they're looking to isolate number 12. Yeah. Uh, you know, at least you know they've, they've done their homework and you, put, you can get prepared for it. Uh, if it gets more intricate or maybe a team plays his own defense or they're a 10-man ride group, then you, I think you've got to specify a little bit more on, uh, on a plan of how to mm-hmm. beat those things. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, all right, so uh, I, I want to move on to, uh, to you know, getting some information, uh, I guess, you know, for the players out there, um, especially the kids that are in high school. We talked a little bit about how you went about recruiting kids. Um, how do you recommend kids today, um, especially today, how do you recommend they get noticed? Uh, I think it's very difficult for young people. Number one, the game has grown dramatically, so there's more good players out there. And the, the, every, it seems like a lot of those kids either think they can or want to go to, you know, 25 schools, say, that, that are the, the favorite ones at first. And so... Um, 
there's a lot of lessons being learned in recruiting now. The reality is is very very difficult on young people. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you know, I think some of us are making, uh, you know, I think we're making. We always made some mistakes in recruiting, but the lower age we get, the, the chance for those mistakes is even greater. Yeah. Um, which which has allowed some programs um, like ours and like some others that you've seen. Uh, be in the hunt for some of the great players because they're not going to always go into the to those top five schools that ten or fifteen years ago would have been the top five choices. And mm-hmm. so, um, so what we do is we uh, expect um, that the, the the young man shows us some interest. NCAA rules don't allow us to send anything to anybody other than a other than a you know a simple information sheet and information about camps mm-hmm. so we need we need to know from the kids or their coaches um who might be interested especially being 2000 miles from the east yeah um you know the university of denver last year we had kids from 21 different states and two provinces of canada um and we're proud of that fact because yeah. we don't believe that to be a great team you have to be have have your whole team be from one of the three or four hotbeds out there. Mm-hmm. We love having some of those kids, but we also know now, for instance, that Colorado and certainly Canada and California and Texas and some of these places have kids that have been playing lacrosse for as long as you did when you came to college, you yeah. know? So, uh, the, the, so, so I think for us, we've got to be a little bit more open eyed to, to some different spots than maybe the coaches that, know they're going to get half their recruiting class from Baltimore and half their class from Long Island. And yeah. and we're fine with it. We're mm-hmm. fine with that. Mm-hmm. But first and foremost, as Matt Brown always says, we want, we want young men that want to be Pios, and, you know? And, and yeah. so that's first and foremost. Secondly, and this is something that Matt tells me, I told him, and, and I believe this to be true. You've got to recruit people before you recruit lacrosse players, mm-hmm. because even when you do that, you make some mistakes so you got to darn well understand that in this world uh, of of social media, you got to get kids that aren't getting in trouble at 14 or 15 years old, or, yep. or not doing well school at 14 years old, because they're only going to cause you problems. Yep. And now there is room for growth. There's room for maturity, and so you've got to leave some leeway for that as well. Um, mm. We're always leaving a spot or two. We just committed a kid from for next year's class. You know, okay. um, so. Yeah. Um, we're always leaving a spot or two open, but in general, we're, we're going to events. Uh, I still think there's value in the, uh, uh, I'm biased, but I'm still in value. I still think there's value in the top 205s of the world where mm-hmm. it takes a kid and it's an individual event that puts him in, uh, uh, a challenging spot. He's not playing for his club coach. He's not playing for his high school coach. No one's telling him what to do. So he puts himself out there and, and I think there's, there's plenty of room for that. I think there's room for club lacrosse where they go into the tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, what the kids have to know, though, is that just there's too many things out there. So it's very important for them, if they are interested in certain schools, to find out where those schools are going to be. What tournaments? Whether you know, we got the November cycle coming up now. Yeah. What tournaments are three coaches going to be at? What mm-hmm. what individual events will we be at? Uh, because it's very difficult to see a kid play in high school anymore because we're practicing at the same time they're playing, yeah. you know, or we're playing at the same time they're playing. So mm-hmm. we, we, we tend to rely on these, um, the November calendar and then the summer calendar. Uh, and, and then also, the, you know, I believe, because I was a high school coach, that 
there's great high school coaches out there, and, and we've got to trust them at their word as well. So yep. it's still it's still very complex, maybe more so, but it is a uh, it's a seller's market. The mm-hmm. kids, it's hard for these kids. Uh, if, yeah. if each division college coach has taken an average of ten or twelve guys a year, uh, there's thousands more kids who are very capable of playing at those places. So they've got to find a, a spot too, and they've got to sell themselves the best way possible. Mm-hmm. So they've got to do well in school, stay out of trouble when they, and visit some of these schools. We know when a kid is serious about Denver, when he'll take a trip from Long Island and fly out to Denver. Yeah. If, if, if he writes us an email and says, gee, coach, I'm interested in your school, and he doesn't put your name on it or he, he doesn't mention your school in the body of the, of the email, yeah. um, you know, done well, <laughs> it's just a the mass email, and yep. when you invite that kid out for for a visit, he's he's not coming, and mm-hmm. so therefore you you cut down that way. So yep. it's it's a lot of hard work, but it's fun work, and it's uh, uh, you want to just hope that you you find the best ones for you. I always tell my assistant coaches, be happy with the ones we get, and don't be jealous of the ones anybody else gets, because yeah. we we get to coach our guys, and as mm-hmm. long as we like them. We're gonna we're gonna do great with it. Mm-hmm. So for kids that are you know as kids are committing younger and younger um, in this environment right now, you know if if your kids were back in high school and let's say that they they couldn't come to Denver, they couldn't go to Princeton, um, as they see you know some of their peers and maybe some of the kids that they've played with committing to you know Hopkins or other schools throughout the nation, you know in ninth and tenth grade, um, you know and they're sort of feeling like. Uh, the ground is is coming out from underneath me with recruiting. I better make a decision fast. How would you how would you tell these kids to react? How would you recommend that they prepare themselves and 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 stay cool, calm, and collected when it seems like all their choices are are rapidly depleting? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I think first and foremost, nowadays you got to get the parents more involved with the with the recruiting, mm-hmm. um, and that's a little scary because some some are just agents. Yeah. Some don't care where their kid goes. It's just as long as he goes and gets as much money as he can, yep. and which is absurd because mm-hmm. it's that's that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. On the other hand, I think parents have skills that, that a 15 or 14-year-old doesn't have. They understand people. They understand sales. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as I always tell them, that lacrosse coaches are, uh, you know, are salesmen. they yep. they got to understand that. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, you know, uh, I always tell the kid that I know you're smarter than your parents and you know you're smarter than your parents, but they've bought houses and they've bought cars and they know what salesmen are like. So mm-hmm. you got to listen to them. Maybe not when they tell you what school to go to, but certainly when they, when they, when something smells, you yeah. know, and, and they tell you, I just don't have a good feeling about that coach or that place. Uh, they've got to be able to bail out. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell them that, recruiting reflects the experience. Um, and so if you feel like you were forced into a decision, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. If you feel like you were forced into a decision, you're going to be forced into doing more things that you're not going to like. And the chances of you liking that program, you know, seven years from now aren't very good. Yeah. And so um, you've got to, you've got to, if, if, you know, we don't, we want to find a kid who, who even at 14 or 15 will at least answer our questions and look us in the eye and, and try his best. Uh, you know, it's tough to ask a 14 or 15 year old what he wants to be when he grows up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you can ask him what interests him. 
Yeah. You know, what, what your favorite subjects, what do you like to watch on TV? What kind of music do you listen to? You know, stuff like that to try to get to know them, talk to them about the challenges that come with social media, the challenges that come with alcohol and drugs. How do you handle those situations? Try your best to get to know them. And for them, I think the deeper a person wants to get to know them, then they can be a little bit more assured that that, whether they become a superstar or ride the bench for four years, that that person's going to care about them. Gotcha. And I think a good, a good, good advice for kids is to look at, look at situations, um, listen to stories of, of, of past recruits. They better understand that, that this Division I lacrosse is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Some guys that are high school superstars are not going to play very much at this level, and they've got to be able to handle that. On the other hand, if if uh, coaches are recruiting, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, in in uh, a lot of ninth graders, and then uh, you're not hearing from them ever since, or that you're hearing about a lot of them transferring or quitting, mm-hmm. then that should be that should be a red flag, yeah. you know. Um, and 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 listen to people who have gone to the program. Uh, I always tell kids. I'll give you names of guys that were our last players. Talk to them. Those are the, yeah. You don't want to talk to the stars of the team. They're always going to tell you things are great. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. You want to talk and and have good reasons to go to that school. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember. Uh, you know, uh, a good friend of mine. I won't mention names because he'll he'd be embarrassed. But a good friend of mine who was a high school coach on Long Island. Uh, a few years back, when one of these first ninth graders committed somewhere. He, he 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 teaches in a high school that's 10 through 12, so he didn't even know the kid who had committed. kid walks into his school in September, and he calls him aside, and he says, why did you commit so early? Yeah. And the kid said, cool gear. <laughs> you know, wow. if, yeah. if, if, if cool gear is the reason you're making a college decision, you're probably not, not choosing the right place. <laughs> yeah, you know? you're going to so, have some serious problems. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah. So I think it's difficult. The advice I, I would give the parents is to be real and listen. And, and, and at, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, and I hate even saying this because my, my dad always told me that a handshake is stronger than any other thing in life, a mm-hmm. contract or anything else. If you shake someone's hand, you should go with the commitment. Yeah. On the other hand, if you're starting to hear some things that don't sound good about the program, um, then you can always decommit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the flip side of that is if there are coaches that are uh, calling you up after you've committed somewhere, I'm not sure you want to play for them either because yeah. uh, that might tell you something about their integrity. And mm-hmm. so it becomes this, this juggling act of it's not about lacrosse. It's about people. Yeah. And so if you're good enough, if you're a good enough lacrosse player, guess what? We're not, you know, I, you know, I always say the, if we were smart, we wouldn't be lacrosse coaches, but we're also not the dumbest guys out there either. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if you're a good lacrosse player, we're going to find you. Yeah. The question is, is it the right fit for you? Mm-hmm. Don't go to some place that academically every day is going to be a joke for you. Mm-hmm. And also don't go to some place that every day is going to be the end of the world for you. you yeah. know? So find a comfortable place. Find a place that you think you can play at within a year or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, find a place that you can do well academically. Find a place that's either close to home or far from home. That you, you know, so it's your choice. Find a place that's the right size, uh, and and make these decisions so that at the end of the day, um, 
you know, you can be you can be happy. Also, when you go on your visit, if you don't like the guys that are on the team, that's not going to change. Yeah. If you hear of, if you hear of some things like hazing or forced alcohol consumption, yeah. stay away. Yep. You know that that's your fault if you hear that stuff and then you go. Yeah. And then uh, ask the questions. Don't be afraid to ask the questions. And then you got to stay out of trouble because that coach has every right to break that. That, that verbal commitment as yep. you do. Yep, yep. So, so you mentioned um, we want kids who want to be Pios. How do you prefer that, uh, you know, that kids that are looking to go to Denver, how do you prefer that they reach out to you? Do you want them to, uh, you know, send you mail, email, uh, give you a call? Do you want them to send recruiting videos? Um, they're trans, you know, what sort of things are you looking for from them? Uh, I, I I think it's difficult because of because of NCAA rules. The onus is on them. If we're going to be recruiting you before September 1 of your junior year, there's not much input I can give you. Now, yeah. we can play the game of, you know, I saw you at this, at this tournament, um, you know, and then I call up the club coach, the club call, coach calls you, you call me. We can play that game, and, and it's mm-hmm. perfectly legal, and that's how a lot of guys do it. Yeah. Um, if if the young man at 15 years old is a little bit mature, what they number one they should send they should send notes to the coaches of the places they're interested in. Number two, it should include some sort of film clip. It does not have to include, you know, on any fancy recruiting service. We all can figure out YouTube. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> number three, I don't. If if you better you find out about you know, don't send me a, a you know a film clip with with. Uh, music on it that has cursing and and mm. you know bad words and stuff like that and and stuff that I can't watch your film because I can't you know yeah. my mind is exploding you know <laughs> uh, yeah the other side of it is I don't want to film with you standing in front of a, a fireplace with your Christmas sweater on you know just just send me the facts you know mm-hmm. uh, send me some individual clips send me a half a game and and that's going to be enough and all I, I tell guys all the time. What a film is, is, is your cover letter. Mm-hmm. You know, your film is your cover letter. That's going to say to a coach, I'm interested or uh, uh, I'm interested in finding out more or I'm not interested at all. Okay. Gotcha. Number two, find out that if that coach is holding the, the, con- the, the popular thing now is, is uh, prospect camps. You know, mm-hmm. uh, we all do it. If that coach is holding a prospect camp, you got to find out when it is. And if you're really interested in that school, you got to go there. Uh, mm. What you got to remember about that prospect camp is it's very hard for a coach to run a camp with four guys, and so there might be only four serious prospects. Yep. So if you go, you got to remember that this is this could be the last time he sees you up close, close and personal. So you got to be on your game. You better be a gentleman. You better hustle. You better say the right things. You better do the right things because yep. that could be your interview. That becomes your interview. Mm-hmm. And then if you know, and then let the coach know where you're going to be playing. One bit of advice I give kids all the time, and very few of them follow it, is way ahead of time. Ask the coach where he's going to be, or where his staff is going to be. Yeah. You know, I just got a note from a kid. You know, we're going into this November recruiting round, and I got a note from a other kid who said, "Coach, I'm going to be at this tournament. Looking forward to seeing you there. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be there." Yeah. <laughs> not not one of the ones we go to. I've only got three coaches who can be on the road. That 
you know, if we go all four weeks and we all go to different spots, it's only 12 events that we can go to. Um, we're not going to see all the guys. Mm-hmm. So ask that coach where he's going to be. You know, if a kid wants to look at Denver but, you know, can't get out for our prospect day, I'll tell him I'm going to be at Top 205. I own Top 205. I'll be yep. there. I'm going to be at Coach Madeline's, uh, you know, fall autumn gold camp. You know, yep. we're going to be at, uh, at Coach Cottle's, uh, you know, camp, you know, on Saturday or whatever it might be. Yep. And then and then they should make the effort to try to get there because so many of them are tied into these clubs now mm-hmm. that they only go to the ones that their club their club coach is getting paid to go to by another club coach so that yeah. he'll pay him to go his one. Yeah. They they gotta figure out that a lot of us just don't go to some of those club club yeah. things. So, so these, well, they are, uh, the kids in high school, they can reach out to you and you can respond to that email. That, that's the way that that works? No, no. no. They can, we cannot respond to that email until okay. September of their junior year. So what they've got to do is they've got to get on the horn or they've got to write to us knowing that we can't reach out to them. Okay. But what, what we can do, uh, what some of them do is they give us their club coach's number. Um, or the high school coach's number, we can call that coach, he can call the kid, and the kid can call us, or the kid can just call us. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're allowed to talk to them as much as we want if, if they call us. They can call us six times a week. It doesn't matter. There are no rules on any input um, that they give us. There are rules on input that we can give them. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. All right, well, Coach... Uh... Listen, this has been great. We're getting down towards the end of the show, and there's one question that I've asked everyone. Um, what are the three things that you would recommend anybody, and it doesn't have to be about lacrosse, but what are the three things that you would recommend anybody do every day to improve themselves at whatever it is they're doing? Well, you know, I, 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 always, uh, I always listen to advice. I, I not because I'm a good person, but because it gives me a great, great amount of time. I try to go to church a lot of times during the weekdays and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, th- I think I heard some great advice the other day that I would always give is, is, is think about somebody that you can forgive, you know? And so, so with kids, think about somebody that really upsets you and, and, and say it's okay. You know, yeah. number two, number two, just try to do your best with, with other people, you know, try to do your best with just, um, treating everybody the way you, you'd like to be treated. And, and then finally, third, thirdly is if you set high, high goals for yourself, dream big dreams, mm-hmm. um, believe that you can do things that nobody else around you believe that you can do. And if you do those things, you'd be amazed how much you can accomplish. That's awesome. That's awesome. Coach, listen, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. This was definitely a really good one. Um, we might even have to split this one up into two different episodes. But uh, but like I said, I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, I'm sure we're going to talk again soon. Okay, buddy. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Joe Evoli Podcast. If you like the podcast, please take a second to give it a positive review on iTunes. This helps more people find the podcast. You can find more episodes on joeyvoli.com. And if you want to be able to ask questions to upcoming guests and suggest topics or interviews you'd like to hear, subscribe to my newsletter at joeyvoli.com. You can follow me on Twitter at joeyvoli. Until next time, keep working 
and keep getting better.